Thanks, Mike. We're going to do some thinking now about uh, the new year. Um, but, oh yeah, new year, dead simple, was on the phone to Richard beginning of the week, and uh, I was thinking, oh, I haven't actually got a list yet of what to preach on this year. And Richard said, oh, do a talk on, uh, do a talk on the new year. Uh, that means, oh, brilliant. I'll do a talk on the new year in the Bible. I thought, oh, it'll be dead simple, I thought. I've been meaning to do some more on the, those festivals in Leviticus. When we, when we went through Leviticus, we've sort of done them all very, very quickly. And I thought, wow, that's it. I've, I've done the work already. Jews celebrate uh, New Year every year, bish, bash, bosh. Easy to do. Even with COVID and Christmas in the way, should be able to get this done, no problem. Unfortunately, it's never that simple, is it? It's never quite uh, how you expect it to turn out. What I thought was quite simple is actually a bit more complicated. But I hope that you find this evening what I found helpful and an encouragement to you. There are things for us to learn in the festivals in the Bible, in the Old Testament, even if we no longer celebrate them. So let me start where I started, with the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I need to make a slight correction to something that I said in our Leviticus series a couple of years ago. Uh, I said that Yom Kippur is the Jewish New Year. The, the Day of Atonement. But actually, Yom Kippur is not really uh, the Jewish New Year. There's some evidence that it might be treated uh, as it, but it's scant, really. The year of, uh, uh, of Jubilee, the trumpets sound on the Day of Atonement, and that sort of announces the day of uh, uh, the year of Jubilee. But it's likely that's sort of announcing it for you know, a while's time uh, to go, so it'll give you a advance warning. It is, however, Yom Kippur linked to the Jewish New Year. But there's a ten-day preparation known as the Days of Awe, when the people prepare for the Day of Atonement. And it's the beginning of this that is celebrated at the beginning of the uh, Jewish New Year. The day itself is known as Rosh Hashanah, meaning the head of the year. And biblically it's known as Yom Teruah, literally meaning a day of shouting or a day of blasting. We know it as the Feast of Trumpets. Now I say we know it as the Feast of Trumpets, but I don't know about you, I've never really heard the Feast of Trumpets preached on or explained or anything like that. And there's actually very little information in the Bible about it. Partly because it's only actually mentioned twice. So there's some information in Leviticus 23, let me read this to you, Leviticus 23, 23 to 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a solemn rest. A memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. So there we see it's a day of rest marked with a blasting of trumpets and a food offering. And there's some more detail in Numbers 29. Numbers 29, 1 to 6. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets, and you shall offer a burnt offering. For a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs a year old without blemish, also the grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three tenths of an eighth bath for the bull, two tenths for the ram, one tenth for each of the seven lambs, with a male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offerings and the new moon and its grain offerings and the regular burnt offerings and its grain offerings and their drink offerings according to the rule for them, for a pleasing aroma. A food offering to the Lord. 
There you go, there's our two passages. All clear now? Yeah, all sorts of things. <laughs> We've got burnt offerings there, which deal with God's wrath. We saw in Leviticus, rain offerings that pledge loyalty to God, and a sin offering to cover uh, our sin. That's all the info that we have. And most of it really sounds very similar to other festivals that go on. What makes it distinctive there is the blasting of the trumpets. Do you think it's simple? Trumpets. There must be, you know, some simple explanation for that in the Bible. Well, one Bible dictionary I looked at this week gave 20 different purposes and events associated with trumpets in the Bible. One of them was that announcement of the year of Jubilee, done on the Day of Atonement, um, but that's not really, again, probably the, the new year. Most of the time, though, the blowing of a trumpet is done to gather God's people to meet with God. That's what it seems to be about, to gather God's people to meet with God. Even in the New Testament, it seems to carry that idea. So Matthew 24, 31, And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The trumpet there seems to gather God's people to meet with God. That's what's happening as Jesus returns, the people are gathered to meet with Christ. And really, the, the Feast of Trumpets there acts as a call to prepare to meet your Maker. For the Jews, that would have been a call to prepare for the Day of Atonement, when that one priest would go into uh, the Holy of Holies. And indeed, Jews to this day use that ten-day period between uh, Yom Kippur and, and the, the blasting of the trumpets as a time of repentance and preparation for that day. But for us, it's a reminder that Jesus is returning, and we need to get ready. We too need to get ready to meet our Maker. I mean, it could be 2022, couldn't it, when Jesus returns. Each new year is a reminder that we're one year closer, and we need to get ready. So are we ready to meet our Maker this year? But believe it or not, when I looked into the Jewish New Year, I found this, but if you were listening carefully, you'll notice that what it says there is that this is the first day of the seventh month. So really for us, it would be like celebrating New Year on August the 1st, if you think about it. And Jews do. They, that is their New Year celebration. But if you think about it, it's the exact opposite end of the calendar year from the beginning of the calendar, if you like. But Jews, as it turns out, have more than one new year. Now that sounds a little bit strange to our ears, doesn't it? But actually we're quite familiar with this idea. We have two new years. So January for the calendar year, and April for the tax year, September for the epidemic year. We have all sorts of new years, don't we, in the year. In fact, April used to be the beginning of the new year for everyone. There were folks who refused to give up celebrating it, and would carry on celebrating on April 1st. And we know there's April Fools. That's where that uh, comes from. But um, the idea of having more than one new year in the year, well, that's, that's just the way that they do it. Now, there are two theories as to why the Jews adopted this new year halfway through the year. One is that they adopted it in Babylon, 
It is the time of the Babylonian New Year, and they did adopt Babylonian names for their months as well at that time. The other theory is that actually this was the Jewish New Year before God changed the calendar in Exodus that we had read earlier. Jews believe that this was the date the world was completed. So the idea is linked with Job 38, where God speaks of the angel shouting for joy, a similar word, at the creation of the word, world. So Job 38, 6 and 7. On what were its bases sunk, or on what was laid its cornerstone, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? In my opinion, though, it's probably just a tradition that sort of added on to the festival later on. Either way, though, this was one of the new gears set for the Jews. But when was the other one? What about the other one that we had read earlier? Well, that's our second one. Nisan, Passover. The Bible's calendar is linked with another big sacrifice. So the beginning of the year starts really with the sacrifice of the lamb, with Passover. Now Passover is not the first day, but like Yom Kippur, there's that preparation period before. There's no official name for that day, or, or festival linked with that day, but it seems it starts a sort of two-week countdown for Passover. So their rescue really was to be at the head of the year, to, to be their new beginning. The announcement of the forthcoming Passover was what seems to begin uh, the month in Scripture and begin the year. So as we read that, read that passage in uh, Exodus 12, the plague of darkness is now over, and now the final event is at hand. So significant is it that God is going to begin a new calendar with what happens next. And it's brought about by the sacrifice of the Lamb. That's what it's talking about, the sacrifice of the Lamb. And if you think that Yom Kippur, remembering that, is a big deal, it is. That is the sort of high day of the year. It's got a whole chapter of Leviticus about it, right at the centre of Leviticus, which is in the centre of the first five books. But Passover is a huge deal too. And its remembrance is even huger. So actually what we have described in chapter 12 is instructions on how to remember the Passover. The weird thing about that is that Passover hasn't happened yet. So important was going to be remembering the Passover that actually gave instructions before it even happened. God is getting in there early. He wants them to know how significant this will be. And then down in verse 14 of Exodus 12, he says, This shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast of the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So it's not the parting of the Red Sea. It's not the river turned to blood. It's not the giving of the Lord. It's not even the actual leaving of the land. It's the sacrifice of the Lamb that's to be remembered throughout all generations. The showing of mercy by God to his people by a Lamb. That is the defining event for the nation. That is how their calendar starts. That is how their nation starts. In the first month, the month of Nisan, the head of the months, is the Passover. And that is really the beginning of the biblical year. Their rescue by a substitute begins their year. So I just want to pick out three implications, lastly, for us to think about for us now. First thing I want to say is that yearly things are not always a bad thing. When I was uh, when I used to work in Lancaster at the church there, we used to have a thing that we didn't have yearly things. We would always decide each year what we would, would do. But yearly things are not always a bad thing. God gave us years for a reason. So Genesis 1, 14 and 15. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs 
and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth. And it was so. If you think about it, God could have made a world with only weeks, couldn't he? Could have done it with a world with only months. But instead he gave us years, the time it takes for us to get round the sun. It's there to mark time. And where there's markings of time in scripture, there's often new beginnings. There's a chance of a fresh start. And they're an opportunity that's used in scripture to teach us about God. That's why there were yearly, monthly and weekly reminders of God set into their calendar for the Jews. That said, it depends how you use those things. There can be a noose around our necks, so Galatians 4, 8 to 10. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to that which are by nature not God's. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've laboured in vain over you. You see, there in Galatia, their desire was to return to these old festivals and days as an expression to be enslaved to religion again, pining after the little chocolates from their advent calendar, when the smorgasbord of Christmas and the chocolates you get there are there. Can you imagine that? Get there on Christmas morning and you want to go back to your advent calendar? Why would you do that? And yet there are hints that Paul sometimes kept them, or at least wanted to be around for those festivals in Acts 20. He tells people not to judge one another about them in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So I think really it's about how you use those things. I don't think we should return to Jewish festivals. They're shadows and the realities found in Christ. But in a Jewish culture, I think I would have them in my calendar, as Paul seemed to do, and use them to remind the folk around me of how they were fulfilled in Christ. Why waste an opportunity when the culture around you wants to talk about those things? And there are rhythms to the year, aren't there, that are culturally bound. A new year in the West is this time of year. And it's a chance to draw a line under things, isn't it, and look to the year ahead. It's about how we use those things. So yearly things are not necessarily bad things. Secondly, though, Jesus' sacrifice is the foundation of every year. Both New Years, if you think about it, from the Bible have at the heart of them pictures that point us to Christ's sacrifice. Whether you have it as Yom Kippur or as Passover, both of them have the idea of substitutionary sacrifice. Both of them point us to Christ being sacrificed on the cross. So I don't think it's a stretch then to say whichever is the true new year, the beginning of it, is sacrificial substitution. Right at the centre whatever which one is, the, right at the centre of the year as well, is also that idea, whichever way you start it. So right at the beginning and right at the centre is the idea of sacrificial substitution. And whilst we don't want to keep the Jewish New Year, for our British one, let's keep the same principle. Let's make Jesus' sacrifice central and foremost in the year. Let's that define 2022 rather than anything else that might be happening in the news both in our mindset as we remember Christ's sacrifice in our place, and in our message as well as we hold that out to the world around us. We want Christ's sacrifice to be central, we want it to be head of what we do every year. And then final implication, Jesus could come back this year. 
Jesus could come back this year. The Feast of Trumpets reminds us that one day the last trumpet will sound. And every passing year brings us one year closer to Jesus returning. So it really could be 2022. Do you believe that? That Jesus could come back this year? This could be the last year that we spend on this earth. I believe in a simple return for Jesus that could come back any time, any day. There's nothing left to happen before he comes. And there's, uh, when he comes back, it's judgment day, no extra time. That's why, if we're told, aren't we, in the Bible, it could come like a thief in the night. We're not to sort of expect him in that way, and yet we just spend our whole lives expecting him. What we're told to do is to be ready for his return. And each new year is a reminder to be ready. Your plans for this year may not happen. I don't know if you've got big plans for this year, you know, holidays and uh, events and weddings or whatever. They might not happen this year, not because of COVID, because Jesus might come back before they happen. Are you ready for that? Are you happy for that? Why not take some time to think at the beginning of this year, what needs to be put in order before the King returns? What needs to change in your life and your attitude? What do you need to spend more time doing? What do you need to spend less time doing? How can you prepare for the coming of the King? Because it could be this year. Now, as we think those things through, it might not be dead simple. It might not be bish-bash-bosh. There might be big changes that we'll have to make. But a new year is a reminder to make them, isn't it? There's a reason people make New Year's resolution. A new year is a fresh start. So why not make your fresh start getting ready for Jesus this year? Well, I'm going to pray that we'd be able to do that. So let's, uh, let's come to God in prayer uh, before we sing again. Father, thank you for this new year. Father, thank you for another uh, day, at least, Father, today, when people can turn and give repentance to you. Father, we pray that your sacrifice, your son's sacrifice on the cross, will be central in our mindset and in our message this year. Father, help us to live for you and speak for you in the culture around us. Father, help us to use this yearly reminder of the passing of time uh, to point us to you, to point us to him. And to remind us that he is coming again. And Father, help us to get ready for that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, sing again before we share some food. Um, whenever I think of sort of what I want for a new year, or what I want to, to do um, as a sort of resolution, I always think of this song. The chorus is, more like Jesus, more like him. Ask the Lord to make you more like Jesus. Wouldn't that be a wonderful prayer for 2022? If you do nothing else... You want to be more like Jesus by the time we get to 2023, don't we? So let's uh, stand and sing. He was the Father's faithful son.